This is an ABC podcast. This is Stories from the Pacific with Bobby McCumber on ABC Radio Australia. Hello and welcome to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber. When Kathy Neup was growing up in the Papua New Guinean province of Enga, girls didn't play with boys. Girls didn't speak up or share their ideas. And girls certainly didn't kick a footy around. But Kathy didn't care about any of that. If the boys in her village could play rugby league, she could too. Kathy ended up making her mark on the sport in a big way, leading the country's first women's NRL team to the World Cup. Kathy, thank you too. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you for having me here. Kathy, tell me, how were you treated as a girl growing up in the Anger Province? Uh, as a girl growing up in Anger Province in my early years of life, um, us girls were not allowed to walk in front of boys or we're not allowed to do certain things. Uh, we're not allowed to play with our brothers and our male relatives. We're told to stick to each other all the time. Mm. Yeah, so we saw it as they treated us as second class, being restricted to, you know, do this and that. How did you react to those attitudes? I didn't like it at all. So growing up, that thought about, you know, I should always be better than my brothers and better than my male relatives. It started from my younger age when I was in year one, probably eight, nine, ten years old. I started having those feelings about wanting to be the best out of my male siblings. So a lot of boys were playing rugby league. Just how huge is the sport in PNG? Uh, in Papua New Guinea, um, if you ask a three-year-old about blues and maroon state of origin, they would know. So that's how big mm. it is, like a three-year-old down to an elderly person. And everywhere you're driving around, people playing touch mm. with rugby league ball. So it's just everybody knows rugby league like since they can walk. I remember growing up watching my brothers play football and I would run the water or be boundary umpire, just do anything to get involved. <laughs> Given that none of the girls in your village played rugby league, how did you get into the sport? When I was in year three, my dad moved over to Port Mosby. That's when I got the opportunity to watch rugby league, played here in real life. So I was involved with the team, you know, like you said, washing their jerseys, um, you know, washing containers, fetching their water and bringing their cold water to school. I love giving the players water when they came out for half times. It was like, <laughs> yeah, I just loved getting involved any way I could. Do you think just by watching and being around it, you're actually learning the game as you watch as well? Uh, yes, definitely. That's how I learned to play the sport, just by being around the team and watching them train and Watching them play, that's how I learned how to play rugby league. So how exciting was it when you actually started rugby training yourself? Uh, I just, I saved up my lunch money and I went and bought a rugby league ball. That's how exciting it was. (laughs) I couldn't wait for the next training day to come. So fortunately, uh, we didn't play rugby league. So rugby union was the first game that started. So I went and joined rugby union because it was just like rugby league mm. uh, in twenty in 2010. And then in 2011, I got to play rugby league. 
So, yeah, I couldn't wait for the next training session to come. It was really exciting. I was looking forward to every training session. <laughs> that ball that you bought, how much did that cost? That ball was 54 kina. I can remember that price. I was doing my second year at uni around that time. So I saved up my lunch money, which my dad gave. So I saved <laughs> it up until I bought that ball, 54 kina. So 54 kina, how many lunches would that buy you? Uh, so back then, um, I was a day student, so my dad would give me 10 kina so every day, so like 50 kina in a week. So right. I wouldn't hit anything. I'd just do my basu <laughs> and save up everything. So that was like one and a half week of not eating lunch. <laughs> Actually, nobody bothered to ask me that question. I've never told this to anyone before. <laughs> How did you manage to have energy to train when you're not eating all week? Um, I guess, you know, keeping myself busy, it's sort of when you look forward to do something in the afternoon, it, you wouldn't think that you're hungry or anything because you're looking forward to a training session in the afternoon. So mm. I think keeping myself busy, I mean, growing up, I had a lot of brothers and sisters. So, yeah, we didn't have enough, I guess. So my dad could eat, give us enough to go to school and, yeah, buy a drink or something on our way back. But we eat a lot in the morning and go to school. <laughs> so when you were training, how did the men react seeing women like you training? Oh, at first they were make, making, a lot of the boys didn't want to come and train us. Mm. And we had some great boys who really stood up, who were playing in the senior grades who actually came down and trained us and we couldn't do road runs. And I remember our first game, people came and watched just to see us as laughing stocks. They wanted to have a laugh or had their drinks on the side and watch us just to laugh about the way we were playing. Boys would tease us and like, mm. way, way, and they tease us and like throw beetle nut skins at us and things like that. It was really frustrating, but yeah. so a lot of girls were shy and they didn't want to do road runs and things like that. So uh, it we never did a lot of road runs because of that. So we actually trained together as a team or we go as a group. We saw it as unsafe, but yeah, they didn't. that didn't stop us from... Were there any other teammates like yourself that encouraged your other teammates to keep going and, and you know, ignore these men? Uh, yes, so there were other there were other teammates. We had Brenda Goro, we had Ruth Omenafa, Vero Vaula, and yeah, especially uh, Vero Vaula, her dad was really, man, her dad was a really big supporter of women's rugby. I remember when the one came during the Prime Minister starting at PNG and they told us, the girls, that you would play. And during game day, they told us that, no, you don't have a pass this, you can't come in to play. And you know what happened? What happened? He is a policeman, so he drove the bus. We were in the bus. He drove the bus straight to the gate. Now it's called the <laughs> National Football Stadium. Before it was Port Mosby Rugby League. It's like, I'm going to bump this gate, open the door, <laughs> open the gate. My girls went for camp and they are here. The security got scared and they opened the gate. We went in and bang. We played first half. Second half, we came out. The boys ran in to do their warm-up. So unfortunately, we didn't play our second half. But who oh. cares? We played in front of the big crowd and yeah. it was a 10-minute half. We didn't care. <laughs> So, yeah, <laughs> thanks to those men who are really big supporters of women's rugby league. 
and oh. our chairman Sandy Saka. Sandy Saka is still the PNGRFL chairman. He was very. He gave us. He said the yes, and his board approved for women's rugby league to be recognized by PNG Rugby League. Mm. So now we are recognized, and we played in the first 2017 World Cup. I think those men, those men leading uh, PNG Rugby League at that time, Brett Hassel and those people, they saw how big, how far women's rugby league can go, and they opened the doors and said yes to accepting women's rugby league to be part of PNG Rugby League. Now, in 2010, you played rugby union in the Borneo Sevens tournament. Yes. How did it feel running with the ball on an international stage? Running on the international stage, yeah, I felt proud of myself being able to represent my country, even though I played only three minutes in that whole entire trip. Oh, I just felt so lucky to be selected and to <laughs> recognize my talent and how far I can. Why was it only the three minutes that you played? Uh, because it was my first representative game and I just started playing rugby union in 2009 and then 2010 I represented the country. So just one year into the game, half a year, like only a couple of games into the into my first year of rugby union and then I got selected to represent the country. So it, I was a beginner at that time. Uh, playing the three minutes, it made me, you know, cry and I felt like, you know, why did they give me only three minutes, one game in the whole entire tournament? Mm. But then that didn't put me off, I guess. I saw it as something to, my stepping stone to work hard. Even though it was only the three minutes, were things different when you got home from that competition? Uh, yes, it was, you know, people looked up to me as a senior player and I had to lead, like they saw me as a uh, leader in the game. And you also took up coaching teenage boys uh, for that fact. How did that go? Uh, yes. So I, when I came back in 2011, the teenage boys didn't have a coach. So me being represented represented uh, rugby union and having the you know, knowledge of catching and passing and how to run a training session, I ended up coaching the boys. That went really well because most of them were just 15, 16, 17 years old boys. So I was lucky in like nobody, not a lot of them gave me headaches and challenge. <laughs> so I was lucky enough to just to end up with a bunch of teenage boys who respected me. Yeah. That's very brave. Teenage boys. Uh, and, and none of them gave you lip. They obviously respected you having represented PNG and coming back and giving them your time. Yes. When you came back from the Borneo tournament, were your family proud? Uh, yes, my family was proud of me, you know. My dad always tell my relatives that, oh, my daughter is this and that. And yeah, he never showed it to me, but he was telling it to my relatives. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> but yeah, they were really proud of me. My dad always uh, gives me money when I, because rugby union, we're not paid to travel. So my dad always gave me, supported me with, yeah, money when I'm traveling. So yeah, he was very supportive. And that money can also make sure that you can eat your lunches again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber and I'm speaking with NRL PNG's Kathy Neav. Now, in 2014, women's NRL was finally recognised in PNG, but not long after that, you had your first child. 
What was it like to step away from rugby just as the momentum was building? 2015, I had my, after my peak career in 2014, when we played the national championships in PNG, and I was given the player of the tournament. Uh, yeah, fortunately, I got pregnant in 2015. <laughs> uh, but I was still involved in coaching. How did it feel, Kathy, returning to play after you'd had your child? Oh, I returned to play like two weeks after my delivery. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> How was that? I couldn't that? wait to get back on the field. That, that's unbelievable. I'm sorry. I, that's massive. <laughs> You've had a child. To come back at any point six months after, you say you played two weeks after you came back to training. Yes. How did your body pull up after training and games? It was a struggle, you know. It was, it was, it was a struggle seeing the, seeing some of the... Seeing, you know, girls, I was in front of them in training and now in front of me during training and I had to push every day to get to where I was. So, yeah, the girls with us training together, sort of, I knew where I was and I had to work extra to get myself in front again. It was a struggle trying to get my fitness mm. back to shape. Uh, yeah. But lucky it was a clean delivery, so, Okay. <laughs> Uh, Kathy, fast forward to 2017 and PNG's first national NRL team forms, the PNG Orchids. Now, not only did you come back to play after having a baby, two weeks if you don't mind, but you were named <laughs> captain of PNG. What did that mean to you? Oh, that was like the highlight of my whole entire life till <laughs> that not day. Not the child. Was, yeah, if- <laughs> Someone went to tell me which day was the highlight of your life. It's not my graduation day, but it is the day that I was appointed the captain of the PNG Orchids. That was the highlight of my whole entire life. I I felt really lucky and privileged and honoured to lead the girls and to lead our national, you know, we call it our national sports. So to lead that team into the World Cup stage, it was just, it was like a dream come true. How much did people get behind the team? Were the crowd supportive? Uh, that in 2017, it was still a struggle. Mm. Uh, it, it was still a struggle coming to half of the year, but I think just after we completed our last game and when we went back home, the crowd, they really, they really backed us and supported us. So probably just in 2017, through the halfway line, I think during the World Cup games, training leading up, it was people were not on our side. Mm. But I think after our first game with the Australian Prime Minister's starting team, we got a lot of people to come on board to support us. A lot of people were on board for the sport. How significant was it to have that crowd support? Oh, it meant like, you know, from a laughing stock to people who throw containers and build nut skins to us when we were playing in the field mm. to getting that, you know, over 50,000 or 25,000 people on that game day to support us and cheer us. When Maimaway went down and scored the first try, if there was a roof, I think that roof would have came off. <laughs> but luckily it was an open stadium, even though we were <laughs> down by 54 to one try, man. That one try got the whole crowd to just move the stadium. Yeah. 
And we are lucky it was captured on Power Mary documentary. So we get to keep that memory with us. Yeah, I think that documentary is, uh, yeah, thanks to Joanna Lester, that documentary uh, is now paving the way for kids to get funding and paving the way for more girls to watch the documentary and come on board to join rugby league and, you know, paving the way to show young boys and men out there that have watched the documentary to challenge themselves about how they treat women. And now they're having that positive attitude towards, you know, treating women and also girls trying to challenge themselves to, you know, take the first step out there. Don't be scared to try new things because you might just create history. Mm. It's spoken about in the documentary that the team had only been together for three months before heading to the World Cup in Australia. Who were the other players on the team? Uh, so we had, so all those, uh, we had Della Haudama who also starred in the documentary, who is now the Elite Pathway female coordinator. Uh, we had Maima Wei, uh, who also got the privilege to work for NRL. After playing in the World Cup, uh, we had Brenda Goro, uh, we had Carol Umeo, we had um, a lot of, we had only two Australian based players, Amelia Cook, who missed out in the Australian Gilaroo show. Our coach called her up to come and help the girls and play. And we had, uh, we had another girl, I think, I, I've, Jasmine something, she's an Australian-based. Mm. So we had only two Australian-based with all local girls, Malamak. Uh, yeah, all the local girls. Uh, we we played really well. We, the girls really played really well. Uh, having old, old New Zealand 8-0 um, in the first half. And then mm. coming back, New Zealand, I think, beat us 30 or 40 plus, I think. But yeah, we never got the score line of 80 and 90 and... 60 and stuff like that. So the local girls really played their hearts out and played really well. Tell us about those local girls. Uh, what were their backgrounds? Did they, were there other mothers in the team or? Uh, yes, there were a lot of mothers in the team. I think half of the team were mothers and half uh, were young girls. A lot of single mothers. Uh, a lot of single mothers in the team. A lot of them were uh, I think only two were schooling. Uh, most of them were probably two were employed, three were employed, all of them unemployed. What did that do for the spirit of the orchids, having you all come together? Uh, having us all come together, with it was privilege learning from each other and uh, having the different background, having the different background and uh, girls relating girls, you know, appreciating one another and learning from each other. And then having those Australian girls come down, you know, them seeing the way they live and the girls down there to seeing how our girls train and live down here also. Was this the first time that most of the players had travelled overseas? Yeah, it was the first time. <laughs> almost. Uh, yeah, almost like probably three girls have travelled down before, but all of them the first time. It was yeah, a cultural shock as well. Yeah. Well, what was that like for most of the team to experience travelling overseas for the first time? It was like, oh, finally, the girls are like, finally, we kept, 
you know, we kept playing rugby league and people saying that you know, we weren't going to get anything good out of it. And now we're traveling overseas <laughs> because rugby league is giving us this opportunity. So they saw it as a, you know, rugby league providing that positive opportunity to them to travel down. And it was, yeah, the girls really treasured that moment. You mentioned that it was a cultural shock for a lot of the players. What do you mean by that? Uh, yeah, the girls not used to seeing uh, big buildings, big roads and hmm. the shops especially. Man, you couldn't get the girls out of the shop. Like, <laughs> there'd be five hours or six hours in the shop. <laughs> Shouldn't get them out of the shop. <laughs> uh, and how did the Orchids go at the World Cup? I know you mentioned some uh, big defeats, but, but how did they go as a team other than that? Uh, there's a team we played, we played really well. We lost all our games, but we played really well. Uh, team, the teamwork was really good. Uh, the girls learned a lot of things too. They all came out being leaders. They all came out being leaders when they came back and they led their local team. So being in the Orchids, we lost the game, but the girls learned, they gained a lot of experience during the trip down to the World Cup. Coming back, they led their own teams and grew in that. You even held off New Zealand for a bit. The score was 8-0 for the first half. Did you give them a bit of a scare? Oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> we did give them a little bit of scare, some, some good tackles from our girls and some good runs. But, yeah, they were big and fast. <laughs> but, you know, three months, we couldn't get our fitness up to standard in three months. So, yeah, mm. it's like a letdown. It wasn't much time at all, just three months preparing for a World Cup. And the mission wasn't necessarily to win, though, was it? There was a much wider purpose for you and the team. Yes. Yeah, so the purpose, you know, like like we said earlier, we were always, you know, we were always pushed there and there and not treated uh, not treated the way we wanted to be treated and women being, you know, suppressed. We wanted to prove to, especially, you know, our men folk and people here that we women can be seen on an equal playing field. We should be treated equally to men. So playing the national sport that our men plays uh, will change the perspective of men, especially males, see us in community and in society that we can do what the men are doing and we can we can do it properly. If we're lucky enough to win the World Cup or, you know, beat Australia or New Zealand, then it's surely going to turn PNG upside down. <laughs> if the Kumus don't win and if the Orchids do get the win ahead. <laughs> <laughs> do you think rugby league has really helped to change attitudes towards women in PNG? Uh, definitely. Yeah. I'd say it's the yes since 2014 to 2023 20, now. Now I can wear my short trousers and do my road run all the way down. <laughs> Nobody will throw a beetle nut skin at me. <laughs> That's a classic example. Yeah. Now it's been more than five years since the first World Cup campaign. What is the makeup of the PNG Orchids today? It depends. Um, this year, the 26 2022 World Cup. Um, there were only nine local girls that played in the World Cup. 
uh yeah no comments i i don't know why that happened but yeah i want to see more local girls playing the world cup but we need to i think strengthen our competitions in order to do that now, news came out recently that four PNG players have signed to the Cowboys in the NRLW. What is the feeling amongst the Orchids seeing more and more players being signed? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's... I think LT Halbert is our local bred and talent who got signed on. Mm. So, yeah, having more... The girls will be really, you know, vibed up and powered up if a lot of our local girls from PNG walks into the NRL teams. Now, Kathy, you're no longer the captain of the Orchids. What are you doing now? So I currently manage uh, NRL in PNG program, League Below Life program. It's a sports for development program which uses rugby league to uh, go out to schools and uh, create positive change in students' lives and communities' youths as well. Uh, using rugby league to create a positive change and promote educational messaging in schools and in communities. Mm. What do you think league and sport in general offer young women, especially those from tough backgrounds? Uh, it offers them the platform where girls can use to come out of their shelves and speak up and speak out and say their views. And it's a place where, you know, they feel that they have hope and then they get empowered to showcase their talents and it's a place where you you feel safe to be yourself. Generally, sports helps us to break through barriers and come out of our shelves and show what we are capable of, if it's in leadership or helping girls with, you know, giving them positive messaging or it's something where it's a platform where we can come out and do anything we want to do and get the support of the people around us in our local clubs and teams. Kathy, you have three kids now aged eight, two and one. What do you hope they can learn from you in your career? Uh, I hope that um, they can learn from me um, to be advocates of positive messaging to help others and I want them to be uh, sports-minded people like me and do well in school. That's yeah. all. <laughs> a busy life, of course, with three kids and, and working. Are you still playing by any chance? Uh, yeah, I just got back to the field this year. Did you? <laughs> Who yeah, are you playing, playing for? Playing and powering. I'm playing for the mighty Hall of Flies. <laughs> and you're still enjoying it, running around and, and getting involved? Yeah, I'm still enjoying it. I get to coach while playing in the field. The coach is in the <laughs> field playing with the girls. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when women are seen training now in Papua New Guinea? Uh, it's, we get support from all communities around the house, business houses, and people are encouraging their daughters and children to uh, play which is really good. Now tell me, Kathy, have you still got that first ball that you saved up for? Uh, no, I don't, unfortunately. <laughs> and they don't sell that ball anymore too. <laughs> and to make it worse, it was a PNG coloured ball. Yeah. Do you know what happened to the ball? I had it till it broke. 
Yeah, I think that ball was a pinky color ball that I bought and I think it brought me luck. Kathy, <laughs> well, no doubt it was more than luck. It was hard work and dedication that you have given to rugby in your country as a player, as a coach, giving back. So congratulations on your career and you're still playing at the moment as well, which is great. Kathy, thank you so much for joining me from Port Moresby and sharing what players had to go through just to play the sport that they love. Thank you. Great speaking to you, Bobby. That was Kathy Neup, former captain of the PNG Orchids NRL team. You've been listening to Stories from the Pacific. I'm Bobby McCumber. And to catch more great stories about incredible people from the Pacific, just search for ABC Pacific. You'll also find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you think there's someone who should be a part of this show, email storiesfromthepacific at abc.net.au. This story was produced on the lands of the Ngunnawal and the Ngambri people. 